Hello, sports fans, and welcome to another edition of Yesterday Sports on the Sports History Network. And make sure to check out sportshistorynetwork.com slash giveaways. I have two signed books I'm giving away. One is titled No Nonsense Old School Weight Training, and the other is Reliving 1970s Old School Football. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. Hey there, sports history fan. This is Arnie Chapman, a.k.a. the Football History Dude, and I want to welcome you back because this is part two of a three-part series crossover event for the Football History Dude and Yesterday's Sports. Mark and Dave are reliving Super Bowl X. And if you didn't listen to part one, well, you're going to have to pause head back there, and listen to the first part that we released yesterday. And if you already did listen to it, well, let's jump right in. I think they threw one pass out of the three downs. Yeah, I think they threw one. I can't remember. But I'll tell you another another, uh, big play. That was the first, it was actually the first play of the fourth quarter. Dallas punted. Dallas punted. And uh, I don't remember who the – I think – I don't remember. I can't remember the name of the Pittsburgh Steeler who fielded the punt. He fumbled it. Fumbled the, the punt. Yes. 17-yard line. And the Cowboys did not recover that fumble. If, and I I always wonder what would have happened if they were, they were up 10-7 to 7, if they would have recovered that fumble on the 17-yard line, and punched it in for a touchdown, I always wonder, would you, that might have been enough. 17-7, to 7, with the way their defense was playing, that, that might have been enough to win the game. But they didn't recover. They went into a – you're right. They were still playing pretty good. They kind of had momentum. They hadn't gotten to that malaise right. that they had gotten into after all those things started going wrong. Like the, the interception by, in fact, that interception that I talked about that Staubach threw to to Glenn Edwards, that was the same play they scored on with Drew Pearson in the first quarter. Staubach later said it was the first time it didn't yeah, work they all year. Used it many times during the season. He said that was the first. You got to give Pittsburgh oh, yeah, credit for that. Absolutely. You you got to give them credit for for recognizing that Mike Wagner recognized that play, and he said they, we, they yep. went back to it, and yep. we picked them off. And you're right. Staubach said that's the first time all season that it didn't work. It worked it every didn't single work. Unbelievable. But it was still a close game at 15, yeah. 15 to 10, you know? I just I just wonder what would have happened and, if they recovered that punt. And not only that, you know that play you're talking about, um, with the it, with the it, with the return, there was a series of downs where the Cowboys had the ball. I think it was after they held Pittsburgh to a field goal. They got the ball back, and they broke Golden Richards' ribs. You, if you watch the game again, you'll see where it happens. He either punches him or he goes to block him. And while Golden Richards is down down right. on the ground. The guy is kneeling on the side of his helmet with his knee. He's not letting him up. When he gets up, he says something to him, and the Pittsburgh player takes a swing at him. Once again, no penalty. 
No pen. There was there could have been two or three penalties in that game that could have been called that were kind of but you know you could see him kneeling on his head if you watch it. It's very clear as day. Of course, when you're watching the game in real time, nobody's no. picking up on this crap. But when you go back yeah. and watch it now, you're going to see I think these that things. Was Mel Blunt. Do you mean it? Because you're looking for stuff. In, in, I think that was Mel Blunt who cracked. I think you're right. There goes Mark. And knocked him out of the game. And I hate to say. And I met I met Mel Blunt <laughs> at the Hall of Fame. I didn't bring that play up to him. They say he's very a very nice, nice guy. guy. I took a picture with my son. I even got uh, Bobby Bell. He was hanging around with Bobby Bell. He called Bobby Bell over to get in the picture. But I almost wanted to ask him about that play. What What was up with that uh, play in Super Bowl Ten when you cheap shot at Golden Richards? <laughs> but I remember right. an interview. This is kind of funny. There was an uh, interview I watched with Golden Richards. They were interviewing Golden Richards. They asked him about that play, and he said, yeah, it was a cheap shot, but he said that was, you know, I don't – he said that was common back in the 1970s. It was part of the game. It was accepted. He said, but I did get him back. He said, two years later, we were playing them in a regular season game. He said, I got him back on a, on a – I caught him uh, like on a crackback block. On the, on the back of his legs. <laughs> like yep. I said, I got him back. And as he was laying there, Mel Blunt was laying on the ground, writhing in pain. He said, I walked past him. I looked down. And I said, that's payback for Super Bowl Ten. <laughs> <laughs> no, listen. You know, the stuff that oh. went on. Look, the game was much, much, much more. They could say the guys are bigger and faster today, and they are. But the game is was much more physical oh, yeah. back then. They were hammering guys downfield. I, I think he only got one shot, but you could do it anywhere. It was after 10, 15 yards, actually, yeah, wasn't it? Was, it? Yeah. Wasn't that the rule, It was brutal. Oh, yeah. And that was. I mean, you know, but th that, that next series, after the Cowboys had to punt again, the Cowboys' offense went stale there. See, that was the big problem. Pittsburgh was getting really, they were getting really they tough. And when they punted back, Pittsburgh had the ball, and that was a long pass down the middle he threw to Swan. And you know something? All these passes that Swan made that day, he made some great catches. The one on the sideline, yep. that acrobatic catch, that one down the middle. Mark Washington had pretty good coverage on all yeah. three of those. It's not like the guy was getting burned. No, he really no, wasn't. he was on him. But, how, you know, how can you defend that? If the guy makes a spectacular. Those were very well-placed Yep. Very well-placed balls and great catches. And that was the kind – we thought it was the backbreaker. We said this game is yeah. over now because they missed That's the extra right. point. So at that point, it's 21 to yes. 10. And Pittsburgh got all the yep. momentum. But Bradshaw, we used to call him – when I was a kid, we used to call him a salami <laughs> head because he didn't have any hair on his head. And it looked like salami. And anyway, we we plus we couldn't stand because we beat the Cowboys. The salami had got knocked out of the yeah. game, Mark. Larry, okay. Oh. We, let me. You go back and watch them taking them off. They just picked the guy up. Today would bring out a stretcher. They're just basically almost dragging the yeah. guy off the field. And I, and who was it Larry that hit Cole. him under the chin? Was it Larry was it Larry Cole? Cole? Yep, hit him right under the chin. Tremendous. Yeah. Took him out. Concussion. What a shot. He didn't even know where he was.
I think Bradshaw has said. He was pointing to the side yeah. of his head on the sidelines. You go back and watch it, and he's telling them, like, either yeah. he couldn't hear or his ears were ringing, maybe he was telling them. But he, you could see that he was on, he was, he was, he was on, he was, he was, he was I think done I remember hearing him say that he doesn't even remember the last, you know, after that, he doesn't remember the rest of the game. He doesn't even know what happened. But you're right. They didn't even take no. him in for anything. He's just sitting on the bench, <laughs> completely knocked out. Like they didn't even take him into the locker That's room. Right. Nothing. Unbelievable. No, it's tremendous, actually. Well, people know what you mean. It's tremendous. No, I don't give a. I don't care. It's, it was tremendous back then. Do you know what I mean? It's not like no. that anymore today. And then, like you said, uh, Dallas got the ball back, twenty-one to ten. We think it's over. Twenty-one to ten. It only took them oh, five yeah. plays. Storbeck, Storbeck got sacked on one of those. Of, of those five plays, he got sacked on one of them. The other four were all. That's the, right. The other four were all completions, and they got a quick touchdown. They went and, right downfield, bing, bang, yeah. boom, like it was nothing. And then I, the same guy, the same Steeler fan that I was debating with who was knocking his own kicker, I said, your kicker saved the touchdown, and you complain. he put his body on the line, and you're complaining that uh, he missed a couple of field goals. So now the same guy's debating with me that, well, the only reason Dallas scored that late touchdown is because the Steelers' defense went to sleep. I said, Are you you got to be kidding me. I said, Chuck Noel, your coach is Chuck Noel. Nobody goes to sleep. If you, Chuck Noel was no different than Landry, Vince Lombardi, Don Shula. Those guys, if you didn't give 100% effort with those coaches, you go to practice the next day, your locker's empty. You'll find an empty locker, and you'll have a ticket to get on the bus because they don't put up with that. So I don't know. What to do. And you, you'd get pulled yeah, out of the game. Get pulled out of the game. So this guy's trying to tell me that the Steelers' defense went to sleep. No, Starback did what he always did. That's why they called him Captain Comeback. Captain Comeback. Yeah, he took him downfield, Mark. And let me ask you this, because I've been dying to ask you all week. When they kicked off, they did an onside kick. I know they they were kind of running out of time. I think there was only a minute and 50-something seconds at that point. The onside kick, but yeah. Do, do you think – what if they kicked the ball away? In other words, what happened – we didn't know this, Arnie, but – when the Steelers came onto the field for the offensive series, Bradshaw did not come out. Out comes Terry Hanratty. He threw Notre seven Dame. passes the whole season, I think. Oh. And so now, Pittsburgh, instead of having the ball maybe on the 20 or the 25-yard line, they got the ball kind of up near yeah. midfield. That's where they got it, on the onside kick. And and what happened was, it was the craziest, one of the craziest scenarios I think they gained two or three yards out of the first three plays. And when fourth down comes up, Arnie, everybody's expecting him to punt, pin the Cowboys way back. They go for it because they claim that they had a lot of problems with the kicker and they didn't want to risk a blocked kick and all this stuff. And so they figured, well, we'll go for it and we'll just rely on our defense. And people couldn't believe it. 
They ran. They needed, I think, was it eight yards, oh, Mark, or seven? It wasn't even close. They got two I yards. It was on fourth and down. nine, and they got two yards. But uh, like you said, Chuck Knoll didn't so, want to punt because they had they had a lot of problems. They were having a lot of problems, and there were several punts that Dallas almost blocked in that game. He didn't want to risk it. Correct. He didn't want to risk it, so he relied on his defense. The other thing, Mark, is going back to the to the uh, kickoff. If they did kick away and they held them like they did, think of the field position Dallas yeah. would have had. Do you know what I mean? And they ended up getting pretty good field position anyway because they they stopped right. them. But they might even have been able to go for another for another. They would have had to punt. They wouldn't have been able to give the ball up down at the twenty five yard. They would have had to punt. But I, I guess the I guess the onside kick was the most logical thing to do. Um, but that, but they got the ball back, and this was uh, terrible. And I know you're going to agree with me. The Cowboys had a minute and and uh, twenty two seconds left, so that's eighty two seconds, eighty two seconds with their last uh, possession. And I, I thought about, and they had no timeouts, no timeouts. So. They would have to run sideline patterns. Well, you see teams do it today. They run sideline. Either ball's completed or it's thrown out of bounds or whatever, or the guy gets out of bounds. But with 82 seconds, I would think you should be able to get probably at least eight plays around there. That's 10 seconds of play. That's actually a lot. They only ran five plays. Uh, the one play that bothered me was Preston Pearson catching a ball and then inexplicably turning inside instead yeah. of getting out of bounds. He runs towards the middle of the field. I don't know what the hell he was thinking. There was no time. He was usually a very smart player, usually a very intelligent player, but I don't know what he was thinking there. Did he forget about the clock? That's the guy, Arnie, that came from right. Pittsburgh, by the way. Anyways, look, I, I, I don't know. I, I watched the five plays they ran. I'm thinking, even my buddy, my buddy Angelo, he's a he's a big 49er fan. We've watched the end of that game. Angelo is a sharp guy. He picks up on stuff quick. And he said to me, he was the first time he ever watched the full series right. of that because he was, he, was, he was living in the United States. when the, I don't even know if he was – he moved here in 83 from Italy. But he's sharp. He's a sharp football fan. He said, he said to me, that was terrible, terrible. clock management. And I've said, you're right. It kind of was terrible clock management. Those last five plays. There was a scramble um, in there. Just, I know. Right? There was a, a stallback scramble. Right. They rushed him again, and he had to scramble. And I think he gained about 10 yards, but he didn't. He wasn't able to get out of bounds either. Those plays. No, he wasn't able to get out of bounds. And the there was no sense no. of urgency. That's what I, the, I was looking for. Like they were just, ro ro they didn't call like two plays in the huddle and just right back up to the line. They were like huddling up, and I was like, "What the what the heck is going on?" I, even when I watched the game when I was a kid, watching it, you know, as a as a young guy, I was like, "What the heck is that?" And then you know, they ran a couple of plays downfield. Percy One of them hit, hit the guy Percy right on the helmet. If you watch that, if you watch that play. If he had just, if he had been maybe a yard or two further back, he would have caught that ball. Just a yard or two. Arnie must be saying, 
what the heck are these guys? These guys are talking about stuff that happened 50 years ago. We're still not over. It was, look, it was a tremendous game. It was the first very exciting, well, Super Bowl V was exciting, but it was sloppily played. I'll say it again. This was the first really well-played, very yes. close Super Bowl. That Percy Howard. It Watch really that was. play with Percy Howard, where it hits him on the helmet. If he had- Percy Howard, um, Percy Howard, uh, Arnie, caught the touchdown on the drive before. He caught – was that his only was, catch all year, Mark? Only, it might have been the, his only catch of his career. I think he was only there for a year. Tremendous. I think that was, might have been his only catch ever. Absolutely tremendous. Touchdown in the Super Bowl, and then the next year he was gone. But you watch that play where it hit him in the helmet, and you'll see what I mean. If he had been just a one one or two yards further back, he would have caught it. Would have landed right in his hands. Yep. Right in his hands. But great. Yeah. No. Then the final play of the game, Staubach tried to pump to the middle, and then he threw a ball, and I think Mike Wagner picked it off in the end zone. It ricocheted yeah. off of somebody. Yeah. I think. And the game was great. over. And it was very disappointing as a, you know, you know, as a, as a young guy, you're, you're, you're watching it. And, you know, the, the season was so surprising, you know, oh. what was the, what was the regular season four. record that year? 10 and four. 10 and four. And they put, they took Pittsburgh down to yeah. the wire in the Super Bowl. It was a great, it was a great game. It was, you know, I give Pittsburgh credit. They played, they they got through some things in that game, and they they got through it, and they yeah, ended up Pittsburgh's winning. Pittsburgh's defense played tremendous. It was really quite a defensive battle that game. The defense. And Joe Green was not That's healthy. Right. I think after Mark after that, in, he had an injury. I forget what it was. I can't remember. Shoulder the shoulder injury. I mean, he was. He was losing. His right. arm was going numb. He was, he was never quite yeah. as dominant after that after that injury, I don't think. From 69, I think his first season was 1969. For his first seven seasons, he was the most dominant defensive lineman in football. And then after that injury, although he was still a great player, don't get me wrong, but I don't think he was ever quite as dominant after that injury. He, he started to... He started to get a lot. Yeah. That's why when people ask me, a lot of times they'll ask, you know, who are your best, who do you put in your top five defensive tackles? I always put Lily and Olsen as my top two. And then they'll say, what about Joe Green? Hands say, down. They always say, what about Joe Green? The only reason I don't put Joe Green in the same category with those two guys is because a lot of injury. He had a lot of. He wasn't as durable. Not that that was his fault, but he just wasn't as durable as Lillian Olson. Those guys hardly ever missed a game or a play. Look, yeah. What people don't understand is, Lily retired in seventy four. Right. Lily's on the nineteen sixties and nineteen seventies right. decade teams. The guy had played yeah. half the decade, and he still got on the uh, the seventies. That's how tremendous he was. But people have no idea how tremendous Bob. They just 
They don't even get to my buddies to this day. They always let, they go, you know, they try to rip, they try to get me going, and they go, oh, look at this, uh, you know, look, 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 look at this, uh, Reggie White. Oh, he was as good as Lily. They just want to try to, you know, push my buttons. Look, I don't care. Listen to me. They, and I, we laugh about it because they know I'm going to laugh. They're going to get mad. I laugh. Lily was at like Lily, like like Landry said. There'll never be another. But he was yeah. like a man among boys, and even Starback said. When we went into those meetings and we watched game films on Mondays and Tuesdays, whenever we watched them, people were, look, I would make a good pass and people would say stuff. He goes, but they were absolutely ooing and eyeing at Bob Lilly. They were in awe of it because the guy was so quick off the ball. No. You couldn't get into him. He had, he didn't have any long range speed, but his speed 10 yards or 15 yards this way and that way were just absolutely Phenom- and you could he was such a strong guy. And, you know, a lot of that, well, he no. didn't pick up any weights. Dan Reeves talks about it. He said, Lily, if you looked at him, you'd think he was the last. He had no muscle tone whatsoever. <laughs> okay? But, look, a lot of that stuff was, you could, you could say, Lily wrote a book. And in the book, he talked about his father pulling an engine out of a car because the hoist was broken. Mm-hmm. Do you understand that? So you can chalk it up to that. You could talk it up, chalk it up to genes, whatever you want to chalk it up to. Farm work, right? Whatever it was, you watch him against these. And this was a guy, not sometimes double teamed like these guys today. They go, he gets double teamed. Oh please, these guys get double teamed today. Once one play out of twenty, it's a joke. This guy was getting double teamed every, almost every triple single, team. sometimes triple teamed. He was the first triple guy really to get triple teamed. He was he was like Landry said, and he coached a lot of him. He took coach right. Starback, the greatest player I yeah. ever coached, he called Lily. And uh, he was that good. He, 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 you could go back now and look at some of the clips. There's a highlight thing on YouTube of Lily when he won some all-conference. He wasn't part of the thing because he moved to Oregon for a little bit. Then he came back to Texas, but they let him into the and they show a series of just plays and how 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 he can yeah. get a guy and control him. He can control guys at the line of scrimmage he and get rid of them quickly. Man. He was just that good. He, he was, was a just, master was at using his hands. He would just and like you said, yep. Before it became he was popular, so fast, like you said, he was so fast off the ball. He'd get his hands up under the guy's shoulder pads and grab them and throw them out of the way. That's how you and oh yeah, like it was nothing. And then there's a there's a clip of him talking about they used to sit in the meeting room and he said that we would look at the film. He said we noticed that when you had right. made contact, right. you had the tendency to blink. So we would watch them and we would hit our eyes with our fingers. Yeah. Walt Garrison talked about it. He said we thought they were going like losing their mind. Like why are these guys? And we were trying to prevent right. ourselves from blinking by hitting our eyeball right. with our finger. He said and eventually it actually. But he said, I would be in a four-point stance, and I would be so close. I would be so – I could yes. see the man's whiskers across the line of scrimmage from me. This is what Lily was talking about. And i tell you something. To this day, as great as Randy White was, and I put him in that group of some of the best defensive linemen to ever play. I'll put him in there with, with uh, Alan Page, and I'll put him in there with some of these other guys. Even he said it was the ultimate compliment to get mentioned in the same right. sentence with Bob Lilly. That's right. 
He said it at his Hall of Fame induction yeah. speech. Randy White said it. I filmed, right. I, I filmed it. I was there. He talked about that's yeah. how great Lily was. He retired. He, he didn't get to go to that third Super Bowl. But, you know. That would have been his you, right. you go back to that Super Yes, exactly. Go back to that Super Bowl ten uh, that we just talked about. That was the first yes. year without Lily. Yep. And uh, they moved. I believe they moved. Uh, well, George was uh, Larry. Uh, Jethro yes. Pugh was still there, but what's his name was playing in Lily's spot. Larry uh, Cole. Uh, you had Ed Jones and Harvey Martin, and I think yeah, they moved played, Larry he Cole. He could play both. He could play both defensive end and defensive end. Yes, Larry Cole. Yeah, that. You're right. Correct. Pugh and Larry Cole were defensive tackles in that game. Jones and Martin were the defensive end. Yes, and what happened was they would take Larry Cole out on third downs, if you notice, and they were bringing Randy White right. in as a linebacker, and he was rushing from an upright That's position right. on the end. Yep. He had a yeah, sack a of Bradshaw in that game. He was a Yes, he was a rookie, Randy White, and he was That's playing right. on all the special teams. They didn't know where to play him. Which kind of backfired on they them later really on. They didn't really know where to play him in the beginning. Because in college, he played defensive end, right? But he wasn't that big. I think when he came into the NFL, he was only about 240 or 245. So that's why they said, you know, linebacker. He was supposed to replace Leroy Jordan, that middle linebacker. That didn't work out. Then they tried him at outside linebacker. They didn't know what he to do with cover. him. They knew he was a great athlete, but they didn't know what to do with him. So they told him, I think it was Ernie Stautner told him during the offseason, go on a weight weight training program, gain weight, and we're going to put you out. That was it. No. He couldn't cover, Mark. He couldn't co He couldn't no. cover Randy White. And so what was going on was they put him in as a down lineman. He flourished. He was really – he was almost – he wasn't as – I don't think he was as – he didn't he – ru he rushed the passer and stopped the run. He could do it. He had about 103 yeah. or 105 sacks from the defensive tackle position, which was almost right. unheard of at that time. And and he he – he was another guy that was getting double teamed. He had a completely different style of rushing, and he was just absolutely yeah. relentless. Relentless. I think he could have been a good defensive end too in the NFL, but they already had Martin and Jones, so there was there was, there was no room for him exactly. at defensive end. The the only defensive tackle we lose, Dave. He's still there. <laughs> Oh, all right. Yeah, no, I'm here. I had a okay. I had a check on something. I thought somebody oh. was at the at the door for some reason, but I heard some. It's the wind and the rain. It just started oh. raining like a crazy thing. But he was he was Randy White was absolutely even at the end of his career he was still kind of a for the last two years not so much but uh, 1987 and 1988 he was still playing halfway decent. You well, know, he just the offensive lineman know, started but, to. Uh, they were all weighing over 300 pounds. So I don't think it was just age, you know, towards the end of his career. I don't think it was just age that caught up to him. But he was 
these offensive linemen were outweighing him by about 50 pounds. That's when all these, the guys from the Redskins, the Hogs, Joe Jacoby and all those guys, these guys were weighing 315 pounds. No, you're right. He said he used to go up, he said the guy that gave him a right. real hard time was Bob Young. I used to talk to him about that because he said to me, Bob Young was one of these 300-pounders where, you know, you'd have to, like, hit him up right. under the chin. You couldn't even move him, <laughs> you know. And he had speed. I could get around him, he said, but these guys were really, really tough. Landry yeah. would show the clips on Monday, and he would say, you got to tackle him. You're giving up too much on first down. you got to get him on the line of scrimmage. He goes, you could always tell when you had a bad game. He called right. you by your last name instead of your first name. So Landry would play the cleats and he would play it back over and over. White, you got to stop him on the line of scrimmage. Click, white, you got to stop him on the line of scrimmage. You play the play over and over. And, and he said, I felt like saying, I can't stop him on the line of scrimmage, coach. You try it. So this is what was going on with, you know. So, and he talked about that, but he was a he was tremendous. But that was his rookie year, that Super Bowl ten, And that was Thomas Henderson's rookie. Dirty that dozen, was what, 12 rookies that year, Mark? Dirty dozen. There you go. The Dirty Dozen. Now come back tomorrow and hear about some interesting stories, finishing off Super Bowl X, and then a fun conversation between Mark and Dave talking mostly about kind of the generational gap type of stuff of NFL and their fans. And what's the best way to do that, you ask? Well, you can make sure you mash that little subscribe or follow button on your podcast player choice. That way you'll get notified as soon as the episode releases. But for now, dude, I'm through if you're through. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. Hey there, Sports History fan. This is Arnie Chapman, a.k.a. the Football History Dude, and I wanted to thank you for stopping by to listen to another episode here on the Sports History Network. Our podcasters are passionate about uncovering and sharing sports stories from yesteryear. And if you didn't know it already... We have over 30 shows across the network covering all sorts of sports history topics. In fact, here's a glimpse into one of our awesome podcasts here on the network. Hello, football friends. This is Darren Hayes of the Pigskin Dispatch Podcast, and I'd like to invite you to the portal of positive football history, Pigskin Dispatch and pigskindispatch.com. We talk about everything that centers around the game of American football, expert discussions, the origins of the games, the great players, teams, and coaches, and more, and some great guests and insights from experts. We have new episodes three to four times a week, and you can find us on sportshistorynetwork.com, pigskindispatch.com, or your favorite podcast provider. How about that? I bet you're super hyped to go listen to that new podcast, right? Well, to learn about this show and all the other podcasts on the network, head over to sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Again, that's sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Head over there today to find your next favorite sports history podcast.